Well, it's good to be with you this morning, Newbridge family. And I'm a bit overwhelmed, filled with emotion of all varieties. Emotion of having just said farewell to many of our friends and family in Scotland, saying good welcome to you, and just all the things that seem to be colliding in our life right now. And by colliding, I don't mean a bad thing, but I just mean lots of things. So an example, Black Friday was a non-event in Scotland. So this year, since we were back in time for Thanksgiving, not because of Black Friday, but we decided to go out and see what was happening. Mid-morning, we slept in. We weren't among the early shoppers. And we went to Hobby Lobby, and we just stood in the entrance to Hobby Lobby going, wow, this is incredible. We hadn't seen that much Christmas stuff in four years. Because in Scotland, their Christmas section in their store would be maybe one aisle. And when it's sold, it's sold. They don't have a truck coming every 15 minutes to refresh their inventory. So if you missed getting the Christmas tree, you were in big trouble. So seeing the things that we saw in Hobby Lobby and other places have just been mind-boggling. Things that we all as Americans take so for granted. And yet we are so blessed to be Americans. Well, I have many things that I would like to share, but we'll trust the Spirit to guide me in precisely what I should share. But I do believe he's been all over our service so far, directing our hearts and attention on Jesus, and how appropriate that behind me is a cross, to remind us that when all other things are distracting us, perhaps it's the selection at Hobby Lobby for me that I could not comprehend. There's one thing that brings us focus, and that's Jesus. And that's what I want to challenge us with this morning, to recenter our hearts and our affection and our actions around Jesus. Well, as we do that, I want to start this morning in prayer, and then help us understand this focus with an illustration before we turn to the book of Hebrews. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we're gathered this morning, we clearly sense your presence among us. And we're grateful that you sent your son Jesus into the world to rescue sinners like us. And in your rescuing mission, you've not only delivered us from the bondage of guilt and shame, but you've also set us free and given us your spirit to love us and to show us the way to live. And God, we trust this morning that as we look into your word that you will help us set aside whatever distractions may be overwhelming us just now, whatever pressure points on life that we may be feeling that we don't know how to manage, that you would just allow us to let go of that pressure and see Jesus. And God, whatever it is, we pray that you would use whatever is necessary to draw our hearts on you. And we pray all this by the mighty name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, you've probably noticed I didn't pick up a Scottish accent while living there. I will throw in some occasional Scottish words for you. So I probably should have begun this morning with a greeting saying, hello, loons and quines, because loons and quines are ladies and gentlemen, which is a bit of a different way to say it. And there are many other ways that we might say things. But you will maybe hear a Scottish accent where I don't, so you can tell me that after the sermon if you like. 
I don't know about you, but I'm not a very athletic person, and I've always struggled with athletics. I love the mental side of the game. I love the game within the game, and I've even noticed as I get older, it's not so much watching, say, the NFL that gives me interest as it is watching the front office politics and the other things that surround it. And there are many distractions to what actually happens on the field of play. It's not just what happens in between the white lines. There is so much more. Well, not being very athletic, one of the last things on earth that I want to do is run. And several years ago, Crystal started a running program where she was going out each day, and I just let her do it and watch. I was a very unsupportive husband. I wasn't very good that way. And I just didn't like it, but I've been intrigued over the years watching some of our friends and even Crystal's brother participate in marathons. And again, that to me would be an insurmountable goal because I can barely even brace the thought of myself running. Well, about two months ago, there was a man named Michael Caprell who is an avid runner. And he entered the Chicago Marathon along with 40,400 other contestants and he set off to run this marathon. But as if running were not hard enough, he decided he would make it even more challenging by juggling as he ran. And this is actually a sport called joggling, of all things. And joggling is mind-bending because you have to run in rhythm with the three balls that you're tossing. And because I'm probably not very good at explaining it and a non-athlete, I've asked the audio video team if they would show us a video of Michael talking about his joggling. So let's see the video. And juggling just meshes exactly with your, uh, with your running pace. You need to kind of hold on to the ball for a little bit as you swing your arm like this. So it's more exaggerated arm swing than regular juggling. And you, if you time it perfectly, then it should look really uh, like when you're running. But, uh, years ago, when I set the marathon world record, I was running about 13 times a week. So about twice a day, once on Sunday. And I'd burn through about a pair of shoes every month or more. Lots of joggling. <laughs> now I run about only five times a week, and I probably, since I'm training for the, uh, the half marathon record, I've been joggling maybe three times out of those five. For me, when I first started joggling, it was just the perfect metaphor for life because I had two jobs, two young kids, and uh, it really couldn't get any more similar to the way my life was then. And I think all of us, in some ways, are, uh, are joggling through life. <laughs> all right, well, thank you, Nick, and guys, for getting that up there. Well, I wanted you to see that because it makes a distinct impression to see all the things that he's having to balance as he's joggling and moving down. And you probably detected that he's a serious athlete in his endeavor. I mentioned that when he entered the Chicago Marathon this year, there were 40,400 other contestants. Well, Michael, in his endeavor to complete the race, finished 592 out of those 40,400. That means he was in the top 2% 
of all the people that were in the race that day, and he was joggling. If that's not enough, consider the fact he didn't drop a single ball for the entire race, and he did it in two hours, 55 minutes, and change. That is mind-boggling. But that shows the dedication and the determination and the discipline that Michael brings to the task. He's singularly focused on winning the race. So he works at it. I don't know if you paid attention in that video, but he said in the height of his training, he ran 13 times a week. He burned through one pair of shoes a month, sometimes more, depending how it went. And he worked at it relentlessly. The Chicago Marathon wasn't a fluke. In fact, it was his eighth marathon juggling. But it was the first one that he was able to complete without dropping a ball. And if you're bored this afternoon, you can look him up on the internet and read his blog. But consider this. When you're joggling, if you have water in your eyes or a bug comes and zaps you while you're running, you can't pause to do this. You have to keep joggling and keep going for the whole duration of the race. It must have been absolutely agonizing. Well, I want us to have that image in mind because I think it well illustrates the many moving parts of living the Christian life. That as we're pursuing and following Jesus, there are a lot of things that are happening and there are things that could easily go wrong. We could stumble and miss a step. We could flutter our arm or we could even miss a ball through our fingertips as it was coming back to our hand. There are so many things that could undo us that the only hope we have is to look at the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus, and press ahead toward him. Well, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews challenges us to do in Hebrews chapter 12. And I want us to look this morning at Hebrews 12, the first three verses, as we consider this idea that our faith is focused on Jesus. Our faith is focused on Jesus. So let's read together as I read aloud Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Well, as you can see in that passage, we are running a race. I've compared it to joggling just to give you the mental image that this is a difficult race. We've not simply signed up to show up at the start line of a marathon and to sort of waddle our way through or meander our way to the finish line. But we've been engaged in a race as followers of Jesus Christ with a very clear purpose and a very clear mission to finish the race as it has been marked out for us. But as we all know, there are countless distractions 
There are many dangers and difficulties that line the marathon course that we're running on. In fact, when you begin the Christian race, when you receive Jesus Christ as your savior, that you recognize your sinfulness and you repent and ask him to save you, that's just the beginning. And that is perhaps the most simple part of the race. Capral, in his analysis of his own attempt to compete the, complete the Chicago Marathon this year, said that at the beginning of the race, he felt euphoric. He was so excited to be attempting this for the eighth time. I don't know about you, I couldn't attempt it as I said one time, and he's excited about number eight. But he said those first few miles, he was just gliding in air. He was so excited about what he was doing. And if we reflect upon our Christian life, especially those of you who've known Jesus for any length of time, you can relate to that. When you first come to Christ as your savior, you sense this enormous weight taken off your shoulders. You have that euphoric sense of God is in this. He is directing me and I'm gliding on air as I follow this new course for my life. The challenge, however, is as we go past those first few miles and we enter into that middle portion of the race, it can become challenging and difficult. That's when little things start to bother us, like the, blurry vision, the blurred vision of an eye that's wet that I can't quite scratch and resolve, or an itchy nose that a joggler cannot touch. All those things go from being in the distant background to being front and center, the focus of our attention. As the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians, this letter is written to Christians that are just challenged on every front. They feel alone and isolated in a world that is opposed to Jesus. And as a result, they're shattered and struggling. So what are they to do? Well, throughout this book, he's been making much of Jesus and saying Jesus is better than anything out there. He is the best. He's better than the past. He's better than what you can experience now. He's better than the future because he is all of those things. And you can follow him. In fact, the chapter just prior to chapter 12, 22 times the author says, by faith, people followed God. The point there being that no matter how difficult, no matter how perilous life had become, they kept their faith on God and they trusted him even when their present circumstances seemed to say otherwise. Well, as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, we're reminded in the first verse that faith takes the focus off ourselves. Faith takes the focus off ourselves. I don't know about you, but the times that I struggle the most are the times that I'm the most introspective and the most looking at myself and just constantly analyzing this or that and questioning what I've done. And Jesus wants to strip that away and say, it's not about you, it's about me. I want you to see the ugliness of your sin. I want you to see the enormous impossibility of the challenge ahead of you so that you'll see me. It's not about you, it's about him. Well, as we do that, that means we are also placed in a community of faith, the local church, where we 
must appreciate other faith-filled people. That's what he says here when he says you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. This is not an image that you see on Hallmark cards of cherubim sitting on clouds playing harps. That's not the idea when he says you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He's saying you are being looked upon by saints that have gone before you. Saints like Dan Robertson, who Dustin mentioned this morning, has passed into the presence of Jesus. He can now watch us from the perfect splendors of heaven and cheer us on for the race that we have to complete, that he has just crossed the finish line. That means we need one another in the local church. The walk of faith is not an isolated walk. Michael Caprell, in doing his juggling, though he competes alone, and he only can do the juggling as he runs, is supported by his family and supported by a whole community of jogglers. That prodded him and encouraged him to do it. He even said on his blog, he said, when I first started doing this, I practiced in the dark so people wouldn't see me out running with juggling balls because I thought I would look ridiculous and people would make fun of me. But he found community in that there are other people who do this. In fact, the way he learned about it, he says, is when he was an 11-year-old boy, he was reading the Guinness Book of World Records, as 11-year-old boys do, and he read about joggling, and he thought, I want to do that. I want to be the person in the Guinness Book of World Records who's recorded here. And as he pursued that life's ambition, it took him all the way until this year, 44 years of age, 33 years from the time he first read it until he accomplished the Guinness World Record. Well, as we think about that, we need other people around us to support us and make that happen. We need other people to support us in our faith walk with Jesus and to help us through the ups and downs that go with it. Believers recognize that we are not alone in our faith and we have to resist the temptation to make it private. The culture that we live in in the United States wants us to make Christianity a private experience. Well, that's okay for you, but that's not really my thing. As long as you keep it to yourself, it's okay. You don't have to talk about that at the workplace. You don't have to mention that at the water cooler. You don't need to get so serious that you're out there witnessing and inviting people to respond to Jesus. Just keep it to yourself. And yet the author of Hebrews is saying, no, we're surrounded by witnesses everywhere reminding us of the testimony and the truth of Jesus Christ. So trust him, obey him when the spirit is prompting you. Take that step of faith and just do it. As we do, we'll find that he is faithful and that he encourages us. And as we do that, we're also gonna experience though what the next part of the verse says that we are going to have to avoid external and internal distractions. We're going to have to avoid external and internal distractions. Again, in verse one, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. These hindrances are external pressures that are placed upon us that are just the, the normal part of life. The fact that you have a family and with that family comes certain responsibilities. If you're a new mom or a new dad, that means you're not getting as much sleep 
as you once got. If you're a parent of a teenager, that means you're still not getting much sleep, but for different reasons. Now it's not because babies are crying and are hungry, it's because you're having long night discussions over why they're doing that or why they're not doing something. No matter what life throws at you, some of these external pressures are just a part of it. And this passage is reminding us, set aside anything that gets between you and Jesus. Not setting aside God-given responsibilities, but setting aside distractions. Some of those distractions can be friendships that may no longer serve our growth in Christ. Perhaps associations. Maybe events and activities that were once not a problem for us. Now the Spirit has placed conviction in our heart that we should not be a part of. Perhaps there are places that we return to to build up our faith, but there can also be places that tear down our faith because of the things we associate with them. There are all kinds of distractions available in terms of pleasures, entertainment, technology, and substances. And this passage says, set it all aside to follow Jesus. Otherwise, the sin will entangle you. He didn't say that the hindrance was sin, but that hindrance combined with your sinful desire leads to sin. And James says, when sin gives birth, it bears death. So we must avoid these things, these entanglements. For a Christian, that means we're not always choosing between good and evil. It means many times we're choosing between what is better and best. And this passage challenges us to choose what is best so we can finish the race and complete the path that Christ has laid out for us. We recognize as Christians that we're in a battle that attacks our faith. It's as if we are soldiers behind enemy lines, and we must never forget that. And we fight against anything and everything that dilutes our faith. As we do that, we pursue Christ completely, taking the focus off of ourselves and onto him. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Acts. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. And it is the task of testifying of the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying he's not only in a race for his own personal accomplishment, he's in this race to invite others to join him to testify of the goodness and greatness of Jesus Christ, that Paul is one of these who is a witness from the clouds cheering us on. But it also means that you have been placed in the race to affect others. Just think how many people saw Michael Caprell, whether it was in person or whether on the news reports of him joggling, there may be a few, a very small handful out there that were inspired by that and said, I want to take my running to another level and I want to try joggling. But imagine as inconsequential as that is, how much more important it is that people would look at your life and say, there is something about the way you live that inspires me. There's something about the way you live that makes me want to know more about Jesus Christ. It's not just you, it's Jesus. Jeff alluded to the fact that as we were in Scotland, we had an enormous ministry in the community. 
And I don't want to make myself or Crystal cry, as I could easily do. But one of the things that was so hard about leaving Scotland was all of our unsaved friends that have still yet to enter the race with Jesus. People that we've told about Jesus, that we've invited to come on the race, but at this point, they're still observers, they're still watching. Well, when we finished in Stonehaven just a few weeks ago, the school that Miles and Madeline have attended since they started school, it's the only school they they know in the whole wide world, decided to throw a special assembly for our family. And that was unprecedented in, the, in their school. And the head teacher, which is their word for principal, told Crystal, she said, I can say this honestly, in all the years I've been an educator, no family has had more impact on a school than your family. Wow. And as she said that, she wasn't being falsely modest or trying to make us feel good. She was being genuine because of the way Crystal has just given herself to the teachers and staff at the school and the way she has helped the students. And I've had numerous opportunities because in Scotland, church and state are still connected, at least on paper. I've had numerous opportunities to go in and share in school assemblies anything that I want and invite them to faith in Jesus, etc. And it's been mind-boggling because at the end of those, the head teacher and the deputy head teacher have each pulled me aside and said, you're our favorite assembly speaker and you have the freedom to say whatever you want because we trust you. And that blew our socks off. So when we were finishing, thank you. That is glory to Jesus that he gave us that access and that freedom. But as we were finishing, what blew us away and what brought us to tears is people pulling us aside and saying, saying things like, we don't understand, but there is something so different about you guys. We wanna know what it is. We don't get it, but we want it. And I want you guys to pray that God will send other believers to help them enter the race, to help them see it. But my point in sharing that is simply to say that we have to set aside anything that would distract us so we can invite people to follow Jesus with us, whether they respond or not. The other night, Miles and Madeline and I were talking at bedtime as I was preparing them for bed before we prayed. And we were talking about why is it people reject Jesus? And we were sort of illustrating it because it's Christmas time with a Christmas tree. I said, guys, it's like the Christmas tree has been decorated and there's a humongous present under the tree that has their name on it. And come Christmas morning, our friends see the present. We tell them, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to have an eternal relationship with him. All you have to do is receive this present. And some of our friends in Scotland have said, no, we don't want that present right now. And they're leaving the Christmas present at the tree and they're not taking it into their lives. Well, as frustrating that is, and, and the kids were crying about that because we can put faces and names, and I'm sure you can too, of people that have rejected that present. We still must offer the present. We still need to point people and say, take it, it's there for you to have. And as we do that, we can trust the results with him, but it requires singular focus that we not get our eye off the mission. Well, as faith takes the focus off of us, it helps us appreciate 
faith-filled people. It also helps us avoid distractions, and it also means we must discipline ourselves to the rules of the race. We must discipline ourselves to the rules of the race. You know, I've confessed I'm not a runner or interested in marathons, yet in this sermon I've seemed to be talking about it a lot. So you may say, is he really or is he kidding us? Well, another thing I found out about marathons when I was learning about Michael Capral is that there are quite a few people who cheat in marathons. They find out well in advance what the course is and that they're supposed to run this particular way, but inevitably in every marathon there are people who find a way around the marked course, a shortcut as it were. And I don't have a fresh illustration from you, but I think when I read about this last, that was the Boston Marathon in the past year or so, that there was a whole group of people that conspired together to take this shortcut and act as if it was the course that everyone was supposed to be running on. And other people who were not a part of the cheating just followed along and went because this whole group seemed to be going that way. They were distracted by external factors and they were disqualified from the race. Well, as we participate in this race called the Christian life, Jesus asks us to follow it according to the boundaries that he sets out for us. And that is unmistakable in our passage. It says at the end of verse number one, let us run the race with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. You know, there are many times in life where we struggle and we question and we say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why cancer of all things? God, why divorce? God, why lust? Why alcohol? Why are all of these things such a temptation? Why are all of these things such enormous realities in my life? And yet Jesus calmly and quietly reminds us, focus on me, see the cross, look at Jesus. Don't get burdened and weighed down by all these other things that yes, he's allowed in your life, but he's allowed them to make you more like Jesus. Now thinking people might say, Nathan, did you just say that God allows sin to make you more like Jesus? Yes, I did. Because you are not perfect like Jesus is. And you need to be confronted over and over again with the fact that you are a sinner and that you need the righteousness of someone else, and that someone else is Jesus. And Jesus allows difficulty, and he allows these things in your life so that you will set everything aside to focus on him alone. Capral testified about his his contest in the Chicago Marathon and said the last 400 meters were the most agonizing steps he has ever taken in his life. Now imagine that, he's already run 26 miles. That to me, again, mind-boggling to think of running that distance. That's from here past Gainesville that he has run. And yet those last 400 meters, he is struggling to put one foot in front of another to keep his hands moving in the rhythm of the balancing of those balls. Yet in those final meters, he kept his focus, and he says he looked past the balls and looked at the finish line. And as we run the race that God has laid out for us, sometimes we have to look past the balls and keep our eyes on Jesus. 
that we focus on him and we say, God, I don't know how this is all going to work out. I feel like I'm about to drop something. I'm about to stumble and, and fall flat on my face. And just trust him. Just keep moving. Keep motoring in the direction that he has assigned you. Many times we get into trouble in the Christian life because we run off course. We say, God, I know what you've said, but really, I know better. I mean, come on. You can't expect me to have to do that. And then we wonder why things go so wrong. We wonder why our lives are falling apart. And Jesus lets them fall apart to say, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you focusing on me? I have a good friend of mine who has been a pastor for many, many years. And he was talking to me, we were speaking about a month ago, and he said, you know, Nathan, he said, about five years ago, God made it very clear to me that my ministry in my church was finished, that I had done the mission that he had called me to, and it was time to enter a new race. And he said, but to be honest, my wife and I talked about it, and we just didn't want to do it. We liked where we were living. We liked the church that we were serving. It was convenient for our family and all of these things. And he said, you know what? We decided to just ignore what God was saying to us. And we decided, even though that I was a pastor leading a church, that it would be okay if we just continued to love Jesus and serve him here as we always had. And he said, you know, the first year, everything seemed to get better than it had ever been before. And they thought, oh, we're so glad we've been able to stay and enjoy this season of fruitfulness and this encouraging time in the life of our church and in the life of our family. And he said, but sadly, I have to report in the second year, things started to unravel and get, go sideways. And he said, and here I am now five years removed and my church has just fired me. Now, he didn't have any moral failure. He didn't do anything sinful or wrong that sometimes scandalized pastors and ministry. He had simply overstayed his calling in that church. And God had made it clear to him, it's time to go. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He was trying to run the race according to his own rules and say, you know what? I know God what you're saying, but I have a different path. I found this shortcut and I think it will all work out. I'll rejoin the marathon when it's convenient. And even as a pastor, he made that mistake. And as we were talking, he was a broken and contrite man. And he was encouraging me as we were talking about our leaving Scotland. He said, brother, if God has called you to leave, you would be a fool to stay. And I took that as word from God that this is kind confirmation that it is indeed time to go. And I don't want to overstay my mission in Scotland. Now that doesn't mean that we haven't left behind emotion and we haven't left behind relationship and a zillion other things. But all of those are a different race for a different person to run that God will bring in and set on that course. Well, as you think about what God has called you to do, there are many ways I could apply this, but the way I want to conclude it this, this morning is reminding us that faith takes a focus on Jesus, or takes the focus off of us and puts it squarely on Jesus. That's because Jesus is the source of our faith, this passage says. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When we trust that Jesus has the beginning and end all in his hand, 
We can follow him no matter where that leads. This passage reminds us that Jesus is the source and the sum total of everything that we are as a Christian. So how could we do anything else but trust him? But he's not only the source of faith, he is our sign of faith, this passage says. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As you see the cross behind me this morning that I've been pointing to over and over again in this sermon, be reminded that that is the sign that your faith will all work out in the end. That the things that you don't see, how they're going to meet up just now, and it feels all broken and disjointed, and saying, God, what a nightmare my life is right now. God will bring it all together for his glory and your good. And you can trust him. He's the sign, so keep looking at him. Keep focusing on him. And trust that he's using that brokenness and that difficulty to make you stronger in your faith. Well, that leads to the final point I want to make on this, and that is that Jesus is not only the source of faith, the sign of faith, but he is the strength of our faith. It is he who persevered against all opposition, and he completed the Father's will. He didn't say, it's too hard, I can't, I quit. Instead, he leaned into the challenge. He took the cross upon himself, and he died for sinners like you and for me. And this reminds us that the strength comes from God alone, that salvation is not me plus Jesus, it's Jesus plus nothing that equals your salvation. And as you follow him, never forget that. I said earlier that the easiest part of the race is the beginning. When you have that euphoric sense like Michael Caprell of this is easy, I'm just floating on air as I run this race. It's now in this next chapter of the race that gets hard. And that's when Jesus wants us to see him more clearly than ever. The finish line gets closer and we can see it more clearly. So are you looking to Jesus or have you gotten distracted looking over here or looking over there or looking up there or looking down there? Wherever you may look, if it's not Jesus, it will cause you to stumble and fall out of the race. Jesus is our strength. We can trust him and we must draw our strength from him alone. When we let go, we can, when we let go of ourselves, we can focus on Jesus. Paul said it this way to Timothy at the end of his race, toward the end of his life. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. The point that Paul was making is he could see the finish line and he was trusting Jesus to bring him through. Hebrews says in chapter 11 that there were many people who finished the race without receiving the promise. That's to say that in this life on this earth, they didn't have everything work out and tie up neatly together, but they received the eternal reward no matter what happened on this earth. And my point this morning is that no matter what stage in the race you may be in, keep your faith and confidence in Jesus. And as you do that, watch him help you finish the race because he is the one who gives you the strength to compete in the race in the first place. As I conclude this morning, I want to challenge us along two lines. First, I want to invite some of you to get in the race. Some of you that may not be trusting Jesus as your savior just now, that you would understand that Jesus came 
to forgive you of your sins, the wrong things that you have done that not only make your life more difficult, but the wrong things that offend a holy God. They're things that run against his rules for life. And you can trust him. You can give that over to him and say, God, I realize I am a mess, that I am a sinner, and I need you to take that sin away. And when you receive him that simply, he puts you in the race to follow Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're not in the race, get in today and experience the euphoria of following Jesus. The second person that I want to address this morning is those of you who are in the race, but you're struggling. The juggling balls are only getting heavier and heavier every time you toss them and catch them. Your shoes are starting to feel loose, like maybe you need to stop and tighten your laces. There's water in one eye, a bug in another, and your nose is desperately itching. Focus on Jesus. Take all those distractions and determine to set your heart and mind on Jesus. And trust that he's allowing all those things in your life so that you will see him. Be like Michael Caprell, who looked past the juggling balls and embraced the finish line. Look past what's happening right now and see that Jesus wants what's best for you and that one day you will be with him for all of eternity.